Hello and welcome to another edition of Stick Together, bringing you union news and discussion on social justice issues. Stick Together is produced in the Melbourne studios of 3CR and broadcast nationally on the Community Radio Network. I'm Matt Conkle. The big news of last week was the release of the federal government's budget. This week on the show, we'll examine one aspect, namely the deep and savage cuts to higher education funding. We'll examine what these cuts mean, both for students and staff in the higher education sector. But first, some union news. The federal Liberal government has handed down yet another budget that targets the vulnerable and rewards the rich. The budget reveals a $65 billion tax cut for multinational businesses. It also reduces tax for individuals earning more than $185,000 a year. While high-wealth individuals may celebrate the changes, the government is seeking to claw back the corporate handouts by raising taxes on average income earners. The government proposes to raise the Medicare levy by 0.5% for all Australians, putting this new money into a fund, ostensibly to cover the expanding costs of the National Disability Insurance Scheme. It has also announced an intention to introduce a new tax on the big five banks, with a view to raising $6.2 billion over the next four years. While taxing the highly profitable banks is a welcome change, the Australian Banking Association's CEO, Anna Bly, has already indicated that banking customers can expect to end up paying for this new tax in higher banking fees passed on by the banks. The budget sees the government abandon some of the regressive proposals from the now infamous 2014 Hockey Abbott budget. The government's freeze on Medicare rebates, which has led to higher out-of-pocket health expenses, will be relaxed, but not for up to three years. There is no mention on how the funding gaps caused by this freeze will be addressed, leading to concerns that it will do nothing to address the rising costs of healthcare. In a highly punitive move, the government also proposes to introduce random drug testing for welfare recipients. Those who return positive tests will have their payments quarantined. Job seekers can also expect further obligations to be imposed, raising the minimum number of hours they must look for work to 50 hours a fortnight. This is despite a recent report commissioned by the OECD indicating that Australia already imposes the highest obligations on its unemployed. Despite these punitive measures, there is no relief or meaningful increase proposed for those living on welfare, with some payments to remain at around 50% below the poverty line. In further budget news, the federal Liberal government has announced its intention to make more major cuts to jobs in the public sector. The cuts are a continuation of the government's program that have seen more than $7.6 billion and 5,000 jobs ripped out of the public service since 2013. This year's budget foreshadows a further 1,200 job losses at the Department of Human Services, which covers services like Centrelink, Medicare and Child Support. These cuts come despite the DHS being past its breaking point, with 36 million calls to Centrelink going unanswered last year. The government has doubled down on its so-called efficiency dividends, further exacerbating the industrial issues in the public sector. Many workers have now not had a pay increase in more than two years, as the Liberals hold fast to their Abbott-era industrial policy of cutting wages and conditions. In a further disturbing move, the government has announced that it intends to privatise part of Centrelink, outsourcing some of the service provision to a yet undisclosed private provider. The public sector union, the CPSU, has voiced concerns about the treatment of service users' private data being handed over to business. The government appears intent on implementing these cuts to undermine user confidence in the public sector, allowing it to point to service failures as an excuse to pursue its agenda of privatisation. Hundreds of disability support workers and their allies marched on the Victorian Parliament House, protesting government moves to privatise disability services in that state. Haksu, the Health and Community Service Union, has stepped up its campaign against the Victorian Labor government, claiming any move to privatise disability services will lead to a reduction in the quality of care currently provided to service users. 
Unless the government halts its moves to privatise the services, the union plans to target Labor MPs in marginal electorates, including Disability Minister Martin Foley. While the state government insists that privatisation is a result of an underfunded NDIS, the union rejects this claim. Here's Elizabeth Doyage from AXU. Privatising disability services will mean that the service users, these people with profound intellectual disabilities, will be having to rely on casual staff, and this is the worst thing that could ever possibly happen to them. Service users, these people with disabilities, rely on continuity of staff. That's the only way they can live their best possible lives, and privatisation completely destroys that. The government has been saying that their decision to privatise is part of the NDIS process. Uh, This is completely wrong. Privatisation reduces choice. It doesn't add to choice. Further protests are planned to take place at the Victorian ALP conference on the 20th of May. The lockout of CFMEU, ETU and AMWU members at Carter Holt Harvey's plywood mill in the regional Victorian town of Myrtleford has entered its fourth week. The more than 200 workers were locked out after negotiations for a new enterprise agreement stalled. The members have three key demands, a fair wage increase, decent income protection insurance and the right to take annual leave at Christmas time. With little prospect of a speedy resolution, the unions have appealed for the public to get behind the workers and set up a strike fund. To donate, visit myrtleford-whymrabbit.nationbuilder.com. We'll include a link to the website alongside the podcast of this week's show. Alternatively, you can join the workers on the picket line at 251 Myrtleford Yakandanda Road, Myrtleford. ASU members at Toldonata are celebrating after their employer has withdrawn an application for the approval of an enterprise agreement cynically made with only two employees. Toldonata, one of Australia's largest baggage handling companies, used the tactic we saw labour hire contractors use at CUB last year, leading to the months-long dispute. The parent company created a new associated business and made a new enterprise agreement, cutting wages and conditions and had it approved by only two employees, despite the new business not yet having any contracts to do any work. The ASU claimed that the company was doing this to undermine the paying conditions of the hundreds of union workers at the main business. The fear being that once the agreement was struck and approved, the workers would be forced to transfer their employment across to the new company at lower rates of pay and with reduced conditions. This tactic is becoming more common amongst anti-union employers. Businesses alter their corporate structure, strike substandard agreements with very small numbers of workers and seek to shift their employees to the new business entity. Because these dodgy new agreements have expansive coverage clauses, the workers have no recourse through the Fair Work Act to negotiate or strike for the retention of their pre-existing conditions once they move over to the new business. The end result is workers are disenfranchised and businesses are able to circumvent the power of workers acting in union. While Toldonata has withdrawn the application to approve this agreement after strong pressure from the union, in celebrating the victory the ASU have indicated there is still work to be done. Negotiations for a new enterprise agreement where workers will have a real voice are continuing. In a case that will have widespread ramifications for about 80,000 workers, Brisbane-based Coles worker Penny Vickers has taken another step towards her push to terminate the National Coles Enterprise Agreement. In 2016, it was ruled that the Coles Agreement failed to pass the better-off overall test after a legal challenge led by another Queensland-based Coles worker, Duncan Hart. This case revealed that the new agreement would see Coles save tens of millions of dollars a year in wages when compared to the legal minimum conditions in the award. Following this case, Coles workers were then returned to their pre-existing agreement 
which was negotiated in 2011. Ms Vickers has sought to terminate this 2011 agreement, arguing that it too leaves workers worse off when compared with the retail award. The case, first lodged about a year ago, has progressed at a glacial pace, with Ms Vickers facing opposition from both Coles and the SDA who do not want the agreement to be terminated. In a ruling late last week, the Fair Work Commission has said that the full bench of the Commission will now hear the case, after Vice President Harcher found that doing so is in the public interest. Ms Vickers is also seeking a random selection of real-world rosters to test the old agreement against the minimum conditions, claiming that Coles and the SDA are obstructing access to this information and basing its case on hand-picked workers on beneficial rosters. You're listening to Stick Together, workers' stories and union news. Broadcast around the country every week on the Community Radio Network. Some commentators have described the 2017 budget as a reset for the Turnbull government. Yet closer examination shows that this is just business as usual for a government that has spent the last four years dismantling the social safety net and looking after its mates at the top end of town. Far from resetting, the government has continued its program of savage cuts to higher education. The government's proposals will affect students, graduates and staff. Joining us now by phone is the National Tertiary Education Union's Victorian Secretary, Colin Long. The coalition government since it came to power has been trying to make substantial cuts to university funding and has been trying to implement a 20% cut to base funding for universities, but um, thanks to the Senate has not been able to get those changes through it. Proposals around cuts and, and funding arrangements, uh, we've argued, would have driven up a large number of degrees to around $100,000. So what they've uh, come back with in this budget is variations, I think, on what they originally wanted. This is not a fundamental shift in direction for the government. This current budget contains very serious attacks on universities and on students. The government has announced a new efficiency dividend of 2.5%. Can you explain what this efficiency dividend actually means in practical terms? It's actually much worse than that, but I'll explain what they mean by the 2.5% efficiency dividend. That's basically saying that, and they've done this in government departments for a while, uh, which is basically asking the institutions to do more with less, so they'll get 2.5% less funding and they're just going to have to make do without that money which they would normally get to cover their basic costs of staffing and um, providing education. But one thing that has been little reported is that they've also introduced a performance funding plan which makes 7.5% of what universities receive uh, will be subject to this performance funding. Um, And that's about probably about $500 million across the sector which will be subject to all sorts of um, measures that the Commonwealth Government will be in control of, and which universities won't have an awful lot of control of, such as student job outcomes and things like that, uh, as a measure of whether the university is performing well. And if it is uh, performing well, it'll get the money, but if it isn't, it won't get the money. So all universities will have the 2.5% efficiency dividend, uh, and that some of them are also at risk of the 7.5% cut as well if they don't get this special performance funding. They can't plan on getting that 7.5% because if they don't get it and they've planned on getting it, then they could be in serious trouble. They know they're going to lose 2.5% and then 7.5% of their budgets are very indeterminate and very uncertain and it makes it very hard for universities to budget. Uh, An individual institution 
institutions, even with just the efficiency dividend, will be losing millions of dollars each year. There are already some universities which are quite heavily in deficit to the tune of millions of dollars a year. What does it mean for those universities which are already struggling for funds? I think there's a number of universities across the country that are sailing close to the wind. Their financial situation is not good and that puts further pressure on their very stretched budgets. There's got to be a stage where some universities are going to be seriously struggling to stay afloat and may even be talking about merger options or further cuts, further disruption, further closure of courses and so on. This efficiency dividend is purported to save almost $400 million over the next two years. Where does that money come from and what do you suspect it will mean for staff and students at universities? It comes out of the operating budgets of universities. It comes out of funding for staff, wages. It will come out of the educational opportunities, experiences for students. Well, one of the things we've seen in the past couple of decades increasingly is increasing class sizes because universities respond to funding pressures by cutting classes, cutting tutorials, increasing tutorial sizes and so on. There's likely to be cuts in research funding allocations because universities largely have to cross-subsidise their research out of the money they receive for teaching and their basic funding grants. So it's really across the board of university activities that are likely to be harmed by this. Looking industrially, we've seen university managements across the country adopt an increasingly hostile line during enterprise negotiations for university staff. How much of that do you put at the feet of these types of efficiency dividends and cuts? It's certainly the case that universities have been asked to do more with less. University funding has been increasing but not to keep up with the level of growth in student numbers. So universities are having to teach a lot more students and they're not getting the same amount of money they used to get per student. Uh, And that does drive university management to be aggressive industrially. It has driven very strongly the the massive growth in casualisation in universities so that about 50% of undergraduate teaching is now done by casual teachers and that is because it is simply much cheaper to employ casuals and to employ ongoing academics who conduct research and teaching. I think it's also the case that there is a longer term and much more problematic uh, ideological trend within Australian universities to push them to walk towards a much more corporate model uh, for university managers and vice-chancellors to see universities as essentially corporations and businesses um, selling qualifications. So uh, some of it is driven by the pressures of funding, some of it is driven, this industrial agenda, I mean, and some of it is driven by uh, an ideological agenda that university managers and vice-chancellors are following. So it appears that there's some shared interest here between the staff and the students. Obviously, there's an industrial interest for the staff, but also the quality of education is under a threat for students. Are the students and staff at universities cooperating on a campaign to address the attacks to higher education? Yes, we, we support the National Union of Students whenever they take action to protest and we seek support from them. We are at individual campuses working with um, student unions and other and student groups to try and raise issues around not only just these budget cuts and the, but also the broader issue around what's happening with the corporate university and what's happening to education and the very you know the, the basic fact that students are having to pay more and get less effectively in Australian universities today 
And what can people do, not necessarily staff or students, but what can people out there do if they want to get more involved to protect universities and higher education more broadly? Well, one, one good thing over the last few years is that the issue of universities has become much higher in the public consciousness, and I think that is probably because a much larger number of people, young people in particular, are going to universities today, and most people, no matter what your socioeconomic status is, uh, really appreciate, uh, want their kids to get a good education. So there are lots of um, working class people who never got an opportunity to go to university in their own uh, younger days who are very keen for their kids to get a chance to go to university. Um, so there's certainly much broader in the, the public consciousness. People need to engage... Uh, uh, we've been running uh, campaigns uh, in, after the last budget, the last couple of budgets, certainly since 2014, the, the Abbott budget, uh, our $100,000 degree campaign, which was um, very successful, along with some other organisations, um, to uh, oppose the changes there. So that's been very successful. People came, people signed petitions, uh, wrote to um, crossbenchers and so on. So I think there's going to be a need, again, for concerted effort to put pressure on uh, the crossbench senators to vote down some of the aspects of the, the budget, or well, large numbers of aspects of the budget, I suspect, but particularly those that affect um, the universities and the fu- proposed funding cuts. So those sorts of pressure. There will be, uh, my understanding, from the National Union of Students, some protest actions coming up. So if people are able to join in on any of those, that's certainly worthwhile. Um, uh, so there, we need political pressure to stop the the cuts and we need people to get out in the street, um, write to newspapers, all of those sorts of things that you can do to raise the profile of the issues. Um, and they're the sorts of things we need in the, in the immediate future anyway. Colin Long, thanks for joining us on Stick Together. Thanks, Matt. You're listening to Stick Together on the Community Radio Network. This week, we're discussing the proposed higher education cuts contained in the federal Liberal government's budget. Now, to examine these cuts from a student perspective, joining us in the studio is National Union of Students President Sophie Johnston. Thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having me. So, Sophie, can you tell us what Scott Morrison's most recent budget means for students? Well, it's pretty terrifying news for students um, and and for uh, prospective students who are in high school. The government um, is planning on increasing university fees and at the same time they're cutting $2.8 million worth of funding. So we'll be getting a far worse quality education and we'll be paying much more for it. So the government's looking to increase fees by up to 7.5%. This isn't the first time that the government has sought to make savings on the back of students. Can you give us a bit of a history about the other types of fee increases that we've seen in the past years? Absolutely. In 2014, uh, the government came out and proposed deregulation of university fees. So what this means is that universities could charge whatever they wanted uh, for courses. That could mean uh, students were paying $100,000 for degrees and uh, the National Union of Students, the National uh, Tertiary Education Union, we fought back. Um, we won the fight. The government didn't um, pass the legislation. And we've seen this from Liberal governments from as early as, I think, 2004 with the Nelson reviews where HECS went up 25%. What do the increasing fees mean for the 
accessibility for students to actually make it to university? It, it's multiple things. It's accessibility is a, is a huge issue for uh, students from regional areas, for disadvantaged students, low socioeconomic students. Increasing fees puts a huge barrier on higher, edu higher education. These students look at universities, they see um, thousands and thousands of dollars as a figure, and it, it, it seems like it's something that they can't access. Now, they've also said that they are going to reduce the repayment threshold where students will have to start paying back fees at $42,000. Do the continual fee increases mean that university is increasingly just going to be something for people who have parents rich enough to help them through? Yeah, absolutely. So Scott Morrison, um, Simon Birmingham, they've come out and said this budget is about fairness. This budget is about opportunity. They know exactly what they're doing. They're creating a two-tiered education system where only a certain type of student can access it. If you're from a private school, if your parents have the money, then you can go to university education. And if you're not lucky enough to have um, that kind of financial situation, then you don't deserve to be there. The government is also seeking to lower the threshold at which HEX repayments start to be repaid. Can you expand on what that means for students and indeed graduates across the wider community? Uh, so the government's indicated it could be as low as $42,000, which is just above minimum wage. Now, this generation is going to be the first priced out of the housing market. We're facing low wage growth, and now the government wants to slam young people with another hit, $42,000, where they're paying back thousands of dollars of debt. This is going to hit both graduates, it's going to hit current students, and it's going to hit uh, people who are thinking about going to university education. The threshold was meant to be set at a level identified as a good graduate level job, but at $42,000 or $21.50 an hour on a 38-hour week, this is barely the minimum casual wage. What, what does this mean for living affordability for students and graduates? HEX was originally introduced at a repayment salary equal to the average income. The rationale being that we should start paying back our debt when the individual is getting private gain from their uh, university education. $42,000 is nearly half this average figure. That is absolutely outrageous that the government thinks that students are getting a personal gain from their higher education at, at just above minimum wage when they're still struggling with the cost of living, still trying to get into the housing market, trying to get a comfortable job. That's that's way too low to be expecting people to pay back that, that much money. So what we could see, this government's failed on providing jobs and opportunities for young people. What we could see here is people coming out of university, there being no jobs in the sector in which they're trained, and flipping burgers or waiting tables to make ends meet. And we could see them start to pay back their hex debt before they've even actually got a job in the sector that they've trained in. Absolutely. What, what we know from this budget is it's short-term Band-Aid solutions where the government is refusing to invest in Australia's future and refusing to invest in young people's future. It goes it goes beyond that onto the international stage. We're, we're in a global uh, work working market. If the education quality for young Australians is deteriorated because the government's cutting billion dollars from the sector, how are graduates um, going to be employed by by um, international organisations from from workplaces overseas, if people, if countries are looking at Australia and saying that our quality of education is low, turning to that issue of the quality of education, we've seen the government cut billions of dollars out of higher education over the last 
the last couple of years, and indeed it's something that's gone on for some time. What do these cuts mean for the quality of education that university students are receiving? Well, even over the past three years, we've felt the hit from funding cuts. Universities are looking at academic year restructures where they're uh, changing their entire calendars so that they can funnel through more students, have a higher cash flow. We're seeing class sizes increase. We're seeing staff being casualised or cut completely. Student services are either amalgamating or uh, being sent off to private companies. It's it's terrifying the, the direction that higher education in Australia is going at the moment. And this budget is only going to go further to creating a two-tiered education system where the very rich universities have the most affluent students attending them and the regional universities, the less resourced universities, they go completely in the other direction um, and the quality of the education that these providers is completely deteriorated. So what is the National Union of Students calling for? What we're calling for is for the government to make education free again. 30 years ago, education was free in Australia. And since then, we've seen consecutive governments making cuts to um, funding, increasing student fees and making it harder and harder to get a degree in Australia. All over the world, we're seeing countries invest in education because they recognise that what we need in the 21st century is more job opportunities, a more educated workforce. Uh, We need to look at countries like Germany that have an exceptional education system and their tuition fees are completely free. So the NUS is running a campaign against these cuts. Um, what can people do to get more involved in the, the union's campaign? There's going to be uh, marches in major cities all across the country. People should go along to these marches. And then beyond that, they should join the NUS campaigns. It's going to be a long fight. We might reverse these changes, but what we're really calling for is an investment in education, not just fighting back against fee cuts, but actually uh, taking a proactive step um, in getting the government to say, instead of cutting billion, you know what, we're going to increase funding by $2.8 billion. We'll be continuing to fight until it happens and people should join um, with the NUS campaigns in doing that. There are rallies being held around the country on Wednesday, May 17. Can you give us more details on where people can go? Absolutely. Uh, We'll be hosting the Melbourne rally will be at State Victorian Library at 2pm. All the other details are on our Facebook page, uh, the National Union of Students. You can find uh, the details for the other rallies um, in other major cities there. And what's next, Sophie, after the rallies? So we'll be calling on uh, support from the crossbenchers and also from uh, the Greens and the Labor Party to support us in our campaign to make sure that these cuts um, and to make sure that this budget absolutely does not see the light of day. Um, And we'll be continuing to fight for free education until we win. Sophie Johnson, thanks very much for joining us on Stick Together. Thanks for having me. Well, that brings us to the end of this week's show. Thanks to Colin Long and Sophie Johnson for joining us. Stick Together is produced in the Melbourne studios of 3CR and broadcast to your local community station by the Community Radio Network. We acknowledge the financial support from the Community Broadcasting Federation that helps keep workers' stories on the air. You can also help keep workers' stories on the air by calling your local station and subscribing today. If you'd like to contact the producers of the show, you can call us on 03 9419 or send us an email to sticktogether3cr at gmail.com. The podcast of this show and other recent episodes can be found online at www.3cr.org.au forward slash stick together. A link to the website to support the locked out workers in Myrtleford can also be found alongside the podcast or at our Facebook page. Just search Stick Together Program. Finally, remember, no matter where you work or what you do, there is a union for you. 
I've been Matt Kunkel. Until next time, stick together.